Okay, we want to welcome those who are joining us online. We are still going through the book of Romans. Today we're going to look at chapter 15, and next week chapter 16, and then we're going to be moving on to something else. Now these last two chapters include a lot of personal remarks, greetings to people, Paul's plans for the future. So we're going to go through these chapters fairly quickly. However, that doesn't mean that there's not some good insights. And, uh, and I think especially the first part of chapter 15, which we're going to be looking at in detail today. Now, last week in chapter 14, we looked at how mature Christians ought to treat issues that divide us. Because we all know there are areas in which we see differently. And sometimes they can be charged with emotion, right? So two principles we saw in particular. Do not judge others for seeing things differently from us. And we're not talking about sin. We're just talking about they see it differently. And then the second principle. Do nothing that will cause a fellow brother or sister to stumble. And if we do these things in the context of agape love, we'll be able to maintain that precious unity of the spirit. In fact, we've probably talked about really since chapter 12, all the way to the rest. If I had to kind of, you know, uh, in, give it a title, it's, it could be, how to walk out the Christian life, or maybe how to walk in agape love, because that's how we walk out the Christian life. Okay, so um, this week, at least in the first part of chapter 15, we're going to see how we must be willing to exercise self-denial on behalf of others, including those who are weak or weaker. And again, another example of agape love. So let's, let, let's read the first seven verses now. Romans 15. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever is written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement Grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Okay, so let, let's just read those first three verses again. <laughs> Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. 
For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So what does it mean to bear the weaknesses of others? First of all, I think we need to kind of say, we need to recognize that there are those who are weak among us. So who are they, the weak? Well, it could be a lot of different categories. It could be those who are just new walking in the Lord, right? Because we don't become mature in Christ overnight. And hopefully, we always have new people coming into the kingdom. And so, sometimes it's a little, you know, it's, they're not sure exactly how this Christian life works. They still are, um, perhaps maybe have the patterns of the old way of relating to people. They don't understand what agape love is, selfish love. So, we are to bear the weaknesses of those who are weak. Sometimes they come from the weak, come from some type of dysfunctional background. Therefore, there's insecurity in their life. Maybe they have problems relating to people. Uh, They're emotionally fragile. And by the way, we're living in a day where more and more people are emotionally fragile. And so, again, we're to bear the weaknesses of the weak. Sometimes the weak are, maybe they're older in the Lord, but they're passing through a difficult season, which we may or may not know about. And if we think about it, all of us pass through times that are difficult at one time or another, making us weak. And I'm sure there's a lot of other reasons, too. Or sometimes it's a combination of reasons. But it's easy for us who are maybe feeling strong in the Lord to become impatient with people who are weaker. And we are exhorted not to do that. We are to bear the weaknesses of those who are weak. I think we also need to realize this is an opportunity for us to bear their weaknesses when we see them. This is walking in agape love. This is Christian maturity. We're called to this, all of us, to walk with those who are less mature or maybe they're just feeling weak for whatever reason. And we are to bear their weaknesses. So how do we bear their weaknesses? Well, there's a lot of ways. Sometimes it means we have to overlook offenses. Because sometimes when people are weak or they're new in the kingdom or maybe they come from a dysfunctional background of some sort, they easily offend other people. And sometimes they easily get offended. What's our response? Bear with their weaknesses. Sometimes it means that we have to do more than our share in serving. You know, we want to, you know, we feel like, oh, well, they need to be serving too. Well, yeah, maybe so, but if they're going through a weak moment or passing through a weak time, it means that we will do more than our share. It also means that we don't demand that they meet up with our own, with our standards. You know, as we grow in the Lord, it seems like our standards of walking in Christ keep going higher and higher. And we have to remind ourselves, 
we cannot impose our standard, what God's placed on us, upon others. We have to be patient with them. Perhaps more than what we'd like to be sometimes. So bearing people's weaknesses means that we continue to love them and stay close to them even if they give us a lot of reasons why we should be pulling back. It means that we're going to be compassionate and try to be understanding of their weaknesses and failures. It's important that we try to understand what's going on in their life. After all, we're called to be merciful. Jesus in the Beatitudes, at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, said, Blessed are the merciful. For what? For they shall receive mercy. So we have to learn to be merciful toward one another. Of course, all this has to be done in the context of having a culture in our church in which we encourage people to grow, to learn his word, begin to apply it, like the principles found here in Romans. So the idea isn't to excuse immaturity or immature behavior, but we're not going to get people to grow up in the Lord by being impatient with them. We have to model what Christian compassion, what agape love is. And part of that is learning to bear the weaknesses of others. By the way, at the end of this age, which I think is coming soon, probably already beginning, we're promised in the scriptures that the church is going to be glorious. It's going to be mature. It's going to be a church that's bringing in the great harvest. And sometimes I kind of think, wow, Lord, there's so much dysfunction now in the world. And it seems like so many people who kind of come into the kingdom of God have so many things that they need to grow in. How can this be? But the church, if we preach and teach and walk in the principles of freedom and grace that's found here in the book of Romans, and we're walking in agape love, we're going to see lives transferred. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say, oh, and by the way, in the last times, there's going to be a lot of just dysfunctional people. And, uh, and so uh, all the principles of being transformed in Christ don't apply to them. It doesn't say that, does it? It says that they will. It just means that we have to apply in a more pure way the principles of God's word. And part of that is learning to bear one another's weaknesses. Let's look at verse 2 and 3 again. It says, Each of us is to please his neighbor for his own good, to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself. Our focus is to please others and not ourselves. That's part of how we do this. This, again, is walking in agape love. This is laying down our lives for others. No doubt this will require inconvenience. It requires self-denial at times. But this is what we're called to. And brothers and sisters, this is the road to a joy-filled, fruit-bearing life that glorifies God. And by the way, we can kind of see here in verse 3 that Jesus is our example. He did not leave to please, he did not live to please himself. 
In Mark 10, verse 45, we don't have it here, but you can kind of jot it down. It says, for even the Son of Man did not come but to serve, to be served, but to serve others. Even Jesus, that was his life purpose, to serve others. Verse 4 through 6. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. So that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now may God, may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another, according to Christ Jesus. So that with one accord, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I like verse 4 because it talks about how we receive encouragement from knowing and studying the scriptures. And we also learn to what? Through the scriptures. We learn to persevere. And think about it. Those are two things that all of us need, right? We all need encouragement. We all need to learn to persevere. It's needed in today's world. But it's only going to happen as we study God's word, as we become men and women of God's word. We need more and more, especially as the days get darker. We need encouragement. We need perseverance. And we receive that through the scriptures. Then verse five takes it a step further. It says, May the God who gives us encouragement and perseverance grant us that we may be of the same mind with one another. In other words, when we have encouragement and when we have perseverance, then we start learning to have the same mind with one another. Those who are walking with the Lord, growing in maturity, growing and receiving encouragement and perseverance, We should be taking the lead in helping us all become of the same mind toward one another. So what does it mean to be of the same mind toward one another? It means that we're growing or we're towards sharing the same vision, the same goals of biblical community, the vision of walking in agape love, and we cherish the unity of the spirit. That's being of the same mind. It doesn't mean that we don't have different gifts and burdens because we do. But on the other hand, we're beginning to think in the same way, the way of Christ. We're being molded in his likeness. We are more and more adopting the kingdom of God culture. But remember that as we evangelize, There's going to be more and more who are weak. We don't give up on them. They may have fears and hesitations. They may have a lack of faith. But you know what's going to win them? Our agape love. That's what's going to kind of break through to the place that they could be established more firmly in Christ. And in time, they'll become of the same mind with us as well. And when you become more and more of the same mind, it says, then we can be of one accord and one voice. 
Look at verse 6. So that with one accord, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So do you get the progression there? That as we grow in perseverance, encouragement in the scriptures, we become more and more one mind with one another. And then we become of one accord and of one voice. And it says, and that's how we glorify God. How do, what does it mean to become a more of one accord and one voice? We become one voice in proclaiming the kingdom of the gospel of the kingdom to the world. In bearing fruit. In speaking forth the word of God to our world. And we then glorify God. That's how we bring glory. That's how we bring glory to him is being of the same accord and being of the same voice. It's, it's actually, we've talked about this before, but it's take the example of a symphony. Now, I'm not much of a musician. I love music. And, uh, but my children, my grandchildren, a lot of you. You know, love playing instruments. A symphony is when there's different instruments. Actually, sometimes there's a lot of the same instruments, aren't there? And they're all playing the same music, but with different roles, aren't they? And what happens? We make a beautiful sound that gets everyone's attention. That's what a symphony is. And people want to listen to it. And that's what God is calling us to be as the body of Christ. We all have different gifts. We all have different instruments. And we probably have different maturities. But as we learn to play our instruments, use our gifts, as we learn to walk in agape love, we become of one accord. We become of one voice. People want to listen to it. You know, First uh, Corinthians 13, it's the um, book about love, or chapter about love, but it starts off, it says, it, it talks about how we can speak in tongues of men and tongues of angels, but if we don't have love, what does it say? We're like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You know, a clanging cymbal, it can be kind of very abrasive. You know, if someone came in here just with a you know, a symbol, clang, clang, clang. We'd be, stop it, stop it, get rid of them. You know, sometimes that's the way the body of Christ is. We don't come across with a beautiful sound. And it's kind of interesting because you go on to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and it mentions a number of instruments. It mentions the flute. It mentions the harp. It mentions the trumpet. And it talks about how they can be they should be giving a clear sound, a beautiful sound. Or it can also be meaningless or maybe even grating. Matthew 18, verse 19. It says, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they may ask, it shall be done for them by my father who is in heaven. When it says if two of you agree on earth, it really means, the Greek word there means to sympathize, symphonize, okay, you know. In other words, be in symphony toward one another. And even when two people 
or three people are in sympathy to one another, there is something supernatural that takes place. That whatever we ask of the Lord, it shall be done. Can you imagine what it would be if the whole body of Christ, if the entire local church is symphonizing one with another with their instruments? That's what Romans is talking about here. We are with one accord, one sound, one voice. That's what God wants to be doing in us. And again, it's walking in agape love. It's bearing one another's weaknesses, all the things we've been talking about. And, uh, and, and you know, really, one accord and one voice suggests a working together to be an effective voice or maybe even a weapon to the world. A weapon as far as the sword of Christ, you know, the word of God. There is such power for the church in being of the same mind, of the same accord, of the same voice. No wonder Satan works so hard to break up relationships in the body of Christ. His goal is to break up the symphony. He doesn't want that beautiful sound going out. And by the way, I really believe the world is looking for, they're listening for, they're yearning for the beautiful sound that comes from the body of Christ. It's not there yet, but God is shaking the church. He's purifying us because that's his desire to make us of one accord, accord, one one voice. You know, what we're really talking about is the characteristics of a healthy church. Bearing with one another, being of the same mind, having one voice. Then verse 7. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Christ accepted us, didn't he? Even in our weakness, right? Actually, even in our failure, our rebellion. Romans 5 says, even while we were enemies, he accepted us. He accepted us when we were of no good to his plan or his mission. Therefore, it says, we are to accept one another. Those who are weak, fragile, still growing, not growing fast enough. Even those who are not playing the symphony like we'd like for them to play. You know, sometimes it's like, oh, brother, sister, your, the, 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 your music is sounding awful right now. But we bear with them. We help them. Because God's goal at the very end is that we come out with one voice, one accord. And as we grow and mature, God's going to bring people across our paths. Not to annoy us. But to teach us more deeply about walking in agape love. And I think that's important for us to all remember. Because sometimes you think, oh Lord, why did you have to bring this person into my path? Or this person? And it could be, well, you probably most of you can kind of think of people who've been in your path. Maybe they're in your path right now that just can annoy you. That's probably God. Because he's trying to teach us. To walk in agape love. Hebrews 12. 
I like this verse. Verse 12 and 13, actually. It says, Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for his feet so that the limb which, so that the limb which is lame may not be out of joint, but rather be healed. How do we heal one another? Or how can we be a vessel to heal? Jesus is on the hills. He uses us as we strengthen one another. It brings healing. Think about that. You have hands and mouths of healing that God's given you for these weaker people. Isaiah 35. Verse 3. It says, um, encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. By the way, have you ever felt exhausted? Yeah, you have, right? Have you ever felt feeble? Literally, that means tottering knees. You know, it's just like, I can't do this anymore. The command, the exhortation is that we have a responsibility to bring them in. The church is always going to have weaker people. Why? Because we're evangelizing. We're bringing more people into God, into the kingdom. And you know what? God loves to bring the outcast. Those who are, um, those who are uh, struggling into the kingdom. So Jesus, getting back to Romans 15, he is, a, he is our example. You know, it says, you know, for even Christ did not please himself. You know, and then it says in verse 7, verse 7, it says, just as Christ also accepted us. I mean, look how he responded to people. The woman caught in adultery. Or Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector and cheater in Jericho. Jericho is a pretty big city. He was, he was known for being a big cheat. And yet, Jesus reaches out to him. Or Mary Magdalene. Countless others. Jesus is our example. May we be more like Jesus. Okay, let's look at verses 8 through 29. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to encourage you to read carefully on this this passage on your own. A lot of it's personal reflections. Um, but we see Paul's heart for the Gentiles or for the nations. I'm just going to summarize it for us real quickly here. Verse 8. It says, For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the Father. What's he saying? Who are the circumcised? The Jewish people. Jesus became a servant to the Jewish people. And look at verse 9. And for the Gentiles. He's also a servant to the Gentiles. By the way, that should be us. We should be a servant to all people. Jews, Gentiles, everybody. You know. uh, um, And actually, he uses the word Gentiles and nations interchangeably. Because that's what the Gentiles are. Are anyone who's not Jewish. And in this passage, 
Paul gives a string of Old Testament passages that speak of God's heart for the nations and how one day all the nations, Jews, Gentiles, we're going to all be praising and worshiping God. Or there's going to be people from all nations. And Paul states how he's been called to be a minister, which really is a servant, a servant of God's heart to the nations and to the Gentiles. Look at verse 15. But I have written very boldly to you on some points. So as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given to me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest, the gospel of God, so that my offering to the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In fact, in verse 20, he says, and thus I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ is already na- was already named, so that I would not build on another's foundation. Here he's saying that I want to preach gospel where nobody's even heard. Because the gospel is for all nations, all peoples. And there's still a lot of people who haven't heard. And by the way, the, the world today, most people have probably heard of Jesus but it's not always in a good way. And we have that same responsibility to preach the gospel to all the world. May we have that same heart as Paul, desiring that we may proclaim Jesus and his gift of eternal life to those who have not heard. It's true that probably a lot of people have heard of Jesus, but many don't have any idea of what he's done for us. That's the message we must proclaim. That's our mission here on earth. And Paul declares. Actually that. He's going to go all the way to Spain. He says that in verse 24. And then he's going to go to Rome on the way. This is his intention. To preach the gospel. We don't know for sure. If he got to Spain or not. A lot of people think he did. We do know he finally got to Rome. Because remember when he wrote. The book of Romans, he had not been there yet. But we do know he, because he actually died there, you know. Uh, verse 28 and verse 29. Let me just read that. It says, therefore, when I finish this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I'll go my way. I'll go on by way of you to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Okay, so next week, we're going to kind of finish up the book of Romans. Please read over this 15 and 16. It's got a lot of just interesting things. He is sort of at the end of the book, kind of just a lot of its greetings, personal reflections. But to summarize today, we're exhorted to bear the weaknesses of others. That can be hard, but that's agape love. We're to be of the same mind toward one another. Doesn't mean we don't have different gifts, but we've got the same heart. We have adopted the same way, the way of Christ. We're exhorted to be of one accord and one voice, like a symphony. And then we're told to accept one another just as Christ accepted us. And by that, that is how we glorify God. And by the way, 
It's written in the Old Testament and the New Testament. By the time Jesus comes back, his glory is going to fill the earth. That means he's going to have children, disciples everywhere, every town, every nation. And they're all going to be walking in love of one accord and one voice. That's how we bring glory to him. And then the last thing that we kind of went through really quickly is we're exhorted to proclaim the message of salvation to all the nations. And that message of salvation, what we see here in Romans. Let's pray. Father, just again and again, we just are exhorted on how to love and walk in the life that you've called us to. Lord, we thank you for the first part of Romans because it talks about how, who we are in you and how you've justified us, how you've sanctified us, how you've given the Holy Spirit to us. Lord, how you've given us grace. Lord, how you've called us to walk in faith. And then, Lord, the second half of Romans, Lord, you've called us to walk it out. And we do that by loving one another. Lord, we acknowledge that this is impossible in our own strength. But Lord, in you, it is possible. Lord, teach us more and more about these things. Amen.